Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 309 and that brings us to Joshua chapter 11. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, living and active, faithful and true. It's your word, breathed out by you, given to us for our correction, for our rebuking, for our training in righteousness, for our instruction and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We turn to you and we ask for you to be our teacher. We ask for you to write your word in our hearts. We ask for you to be the one who leads us into all truth for your name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 11. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah south of Kinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naphoth-dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde, in number like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Miram, to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Miram and fell on them. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon and Mizrapoth, Maim, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord had said to him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck the king with the sword. For Hazor formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed. And he burned Hazor with fire and all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on the mounds did Israel burn, except Hazor alone, that Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they did not leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hill country, and all the Negev, and the land of Goshen, and the lowland, and the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel, and its lowland, from Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir, as far as Baal Gad, in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon, 
And he captured all their kings and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel, only in Gaza and in Gath and in Ashdod did some remain. That's where Goliath will come from later. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Hmm. That is God's holy word in Joshua chapter 11. So I've brought up a map here to show you a little bit of the geography here. So the earlier battles uh, from Joshua 10, they were in the southern part. Okay, so this is the Sea of Galilee. Okay, this is northern Israel um, in the Galilee area, Nazareth right around here, and um, Capernaum would be right about up here. And so this is where Jesus had his ministry. The Jordan River goes down, and then south of this whole picture is where Jerusalem is. But all of those kings down there Joshua had already defeated uh, by the Lord's hand. Uh, we saw that a few days ago in Joshua 10. But now we're up in this northern part. And you see that all of the kings um, gathered for battle. Um, and there was this huge battle. Um, and then from that battle out, uh, Joshua and his forces chased down um, the the forces that they had gone up against. They captured Hazor and Chinnereth and um, all these other cities that you see. So this is, we had a southern campaign in chapter 10. We have a northern campaign here in chapter 11. So what that's what we have in this chapter is basically the, uh, the northern campaign against these northern kingdoms. And it's quite a massive uh, assortment of uh, people or gathering together of people. Uh, there are so many that it's like the sand on the seashore is what verse 4 says about this enemy horde. And they have very many horses and chariots, which is something that the Israelites don't really have. There's an interesting thing in Israel's history where God did not really want them to have horses and chariots because he did not want them to trust in horses and chariots. And so even in this battle, where there are many horses and chariots that come up against them, normally what you would do is defeat the enemy forces in battle you would capture their horses and chariots especially if you didn't have any and you would keep them and you would use them for yourself but that's not what they did they hamstrung the horses and they destroyed the chariots with fire because they were called to trust in the lord and not to trust in horses and chariots so even though there's so many like the sand on the seashore god gives them great victory 
And what we've seen throughout Joshua is that the patterns of the victories for each one of these major battles are different from the one before. So, you know, we had marching around Jericho and seeing the walls come tumbling down by the miraculous hand of God. We had the initial defeat at Ai because of sin in the camp and then the repentance from that sin. And then there was some, some clever bit of warfare trickery used to capture Ai and Bethel. And then at Gibeon, you had really the, the foreign uh, forces that attacked the people uh, at Gibeon who had allied themselves with the Israelites and they go and God miraculously causes the sun to stand still in the sky and extend the day so that they can pursue these troops. Here we have what appears to just be a, a we would say a normal battle, a normal type battle for the ancient world. All the enemy troops amass and they're out in this big open field and they're, they're ready to go. And God gives the word, don't be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. What can we get from this? And where can we see Christ in this? Well, Joshua, throughout the book of Joshua, is a type of Christ. And that is, he's a promissory anticipation of Christ. One of the ways we know that is that his name is Joshua, which is the same as the name of our Lord. Jesus' name Hebrew would have been Joshua. Uh, it's a name that means salvation. This is God, through his servant Joshua, through the one who brings salvation, bringing his people into the promised land through judgment on his enemies, God brings salvation and inheritance to his people. This is a regular pattern in scripture, and we just see it highlighted throughout the book of Joshua here. So the Lord Jesus is the one who leads us in victory over all of his and our enemies. One of the three offices that Christ uh fulfills for his people is king. He's our prophet, priest, and king. And as our king, he rules over us and subdues us to himself through his, his good rule by his Holy Spirit. And then he leads us in victory over his and our enemies. Now, the enemies we fight against, we know from Ephesians chapter 6, are not enemies of flesh and blood, but they are the principalities and the powers and the kingdoms of this dark world. We are to preach the gospel. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to pray to the Lord. We are to witness to our neighbors. And by being the church of Jesus Christ, by being his visible kingdom on earth, God leads us into truth and into righteousness, into obedience, into faithful witness. And by that, we put to shame the enemies of God by reminding them of Christ's victory over sin and death forever. And we are to remember that even though we don't fight against flesh and blood, we are engaged in real spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual warfare for the souls of our families and our the, the, the life and vitality of our church, for the witness of Christ among our nation and to the nations of the earth. And so we are to pursue this spiritual warfare with vigor and zeal. One thing that we see over and over again in this chapter is they struck them until they left none remaining. There was none left that breathed. We need to pursue spiritual warfare with an earnestness and a zeal that shows that we understand how serious it really is. Sometimes we're like, well, I'll sort of half-heartedly pray a little bit in the morning and maybe before my meals 
and you know I'll go to church when it's convenient and maybe I'll spend some time reading the Bible when I have time if I can fit it into my schedule as is convenient I'll do a little bit of Bible study and prayer and some worship but we're done we're not acting or living at all as if we are vitally engaged in spiritual warfare and sometimes with that leaves us open to getting sucked into the world's warfare right which is uh, not all political and cultural warfare is actually spiritual warfare in fact it's usually not it's usually just political and cultural warfare people vying for power people wanting uh, to win people wanting to defeat their enemies so we can by being lackadaisical by being slack by being half-hearted in the warfare that God calls us to we can get distracted and led astray into other warfare. So tomorrow, on the Lord's Day, at Forest Hill Church, we will gather during the Sunday school hour for a time of prayer. It's in between uh, the, the units of our Sunday school curriculum. And so we're going to gather for prayer. And that's so vitally important that we do so, because that is real spiritual warfare for the church. And so for the church to gather together and seek the Lord in prayer as the body of Christ is to engage in spiritual warfare against our enemies. So one thing I think we should get out of this is that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He leads us on in victory as our victorious king, and we must be fully and wholeheartedly engaged in spiritual warfare through the means that God has appointed by reading, studying, proclaiming, teaching the Word of God, by praying and making intercession and engaging uh, the Lord on behalf of, of his church and his people, and by speaking the truth to a culture that needs to hear uh, God's Word. So let us be fully engaged in spiritual warfare. If the people of Israel could be spiritually engaged in physical warfare to gain a little piece of land that God had promised to them, how much more should we be engaged in spiritual warfare to see the advancement of the kingdom of God in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us to be your citizens and your subjects within your heavenly kingdom. Thank you for King Jesus, our victorious captain of our salvation. Thank you that he leads us on in victory and that we can follow after him faithfully by your grace and for your glory. Lead us on, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's Joshua 11. Tomorrow we're going to roll right on into Joshua 12. Hope you can join us for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord.